We continue our study of the Gospel of John today with chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, and 25 through 33. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We are reading through the, 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 the final discourse of Jesus Christ before he was executed on a Roman cross. We've been looking at it now for three weeks, and this is the third of three imperatives that I wanted to share with you. Three parting wishes that Jesus offers to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, celebrating the Passover with them. 
You might remember, if, if you've been with us, that, that the first imperative was believe. He told them to believe in Him and in God. And the second imperative we looked at was abide. Abide in me and I in you, He told them. And now today, the third imperative is going to be take heart. He says at the end of this beautiful passage, the last thing He says to them in this teaching discourse is to take heart. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those precious words, take heart, I have overcome the world, is what we're going to focus on today. That phrase, I have said these things to you, if you noticed, he kept repeating that. Six times in this chapter, he opens up a sentence with the words, uh, I have said these things to you, or something like that. So if he said it six times, it's really important. And what he's trying to do is he is encouraging them. He is comforting them. He wants them to find their courage because they're going to need it. They're about to need it that very moment, that very evening in the morning to fall, to follow, and they will fall short of finding their courage. But soon, weeks later, although their courage is about to fail them weeks later, they would renew their courage, and with their courage, they would change the world. If you read about it in the book of Acts. And if you're familiar with how these apostles changed the world in the first century, I want to ask you today, can such courage still change the world? Can such courage still change this community? where we live, our neighbors, the housing tracks, the settlements, the farms, Carroll County and Maryland. Can such courage, even simply, let's just bring it down even more simply, can such courage change your life? Can the kind of courage Jesus wanted His disciples have change your life and the people around you? Believing in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, will provoke the norms of this world. Its power structures, the way it thinks, what its priorities are, what its agendas are. Believing in Jesus and abiding in Him, remaining in Him, will provoke all of that. Now the obvious way is our our chaotically secular society in which we live now. It will never acknowledge your belief in a personal God who is just. It won't. Our increasingly secular society and chaotic society will never acknowledge your belief in Jesus. But let's not stop there. What did Jesus say to them in the very beginning of the chapter? He said they will put you out of the synagogues. Do you know what that means? He's telling them that their own Jewish countrymen would cast them out of their own religion. Okay, so what we discover, and we know this is true even in our day, that even organized religion can crush people who rather than abide in the traditions, want to abide in Jesus. Jesus is telling them, abide in Me. But those who abide more in their their religious traditions will cast you out of their presence, out of their fellowship. Right? So, so both sides, in both arenas, those who want to follow Jesus 
are going to be opposed in this world. On the secular end and on the religious end. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to be opposed in both arenas. So you need your courage. You need to find your courage right now. You need to find your courage in the coming months and in the coming years. One of the most blessed... Second place to Scripture. One of the most blessed uh, encouragements to me is this old hymn from the 1600s by by, uh, a German author called What Ere My God Ordains is Right. Now, I'm going to sing it to you. It, you're gonna, it, I know preachers don't normally sing at you, so you're going to be embarrassed for a minute. I'm going to sing this at you because I love it, and it's given me so much encouragement throughout the years. Here's what it sounds like. Whate'er my God ordains is right, His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er He doth, and follow where He guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to Him I leave it all. What I want to impress upon you today, what that hymn has taught me over the years, is that the Christian has great reason to be comforted and courageous in this life. We have every good reason to be comforted and courageous in whatever we face, whatever kind of danger, whatever kind of opposition you face to abiding in Jesus and believing in Him, you have every reason to be encouraged and to find your courage. Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Christian and the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things that the Apostle John focuses on more than the other Gospels is the work of the Holy Spirit. And in this final discourse, this last will and testament that Jesus offers to his disciples before his death, he focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit, and I've been waiting for that until today. So we're going to talk about the Christian and the Spirit, and the Christian and the world, which is opposed to the work of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Christian and your Heavenly Father. Because that's what Jesus does in this chapter. The Christian and the Holy Spirit, the Christian and this world surrounding the Christian, and finally the Christian and our Heavenly Father. So the Holy Spirit is with the Christian. If you are a follower of Christ and you believe in Christ and remain in Him, His Spirit is literally in you and that makes all the difference. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in this passage what? The helper. In the original language, it's just the word paraclete. Have you ever heard of a paraclete before? The idea in ancient Greek society, which is where the word comes from, is a paraclete was somebody who could speak on your behalf in a positive way in a court of law if you were accused. Not a lawyer, but someone to basically be a positive witness for you if you were accused of something. That's what, the help, that's what a helper was. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. And he says in verse 7, because remember, they're, they're, they're confused. They're frightened. He's telling them he's going to die. He's going to go away. And he's telling them that Judas is about to betray him. They're all caught off guard. They're quite worried. And in that context, he says, I'm going away. Right? So you can imagine how scared they are. They've been with him for three years. They've got great hopes for their Messiah. 
And now he says to them, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go, uh, um, wait a minute. Oh, I went too far. Sorry about that. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now you may be wondering, how could anything in this life be better than Jesus, the Son of God, with us in the flesh. Like, what could possibly... How is he saying that it would be better if he left? Well, the old prophets, many of them, predicted a time in which the Spirit of God would bring a knowledge of the love of God to the entire planet. That, that, that Isaiah said the knowledge of the love of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Actually, the prophet Joel, centuries before Jesus, had said, it shall come to pass afterward that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Not just on the Jews and His people Israel, but on all flesh. This is why it is good that Jesus is going away and sending His Holy Spirit. Only after Jesus returns to heaven will the Spirit carry on God's global mission. That's why it's good that Jesus is going to go away. Now, how is the Holy Spirit going to carry Jesus' mission forward to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth? Well, he explains it in a confusing passage, a difficult passage to understand. And we have a limited amount of time. I'll just kind of breeze through it. In verse 8, he says, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, he means, look, as sinners, people need the Spirit of God to come to God. He had said earlier in John chapter 6, unless the Father draws you, you cannot come to me. So as sinners who cannot recognize the presence and the goodness of God, the Spirit of God wakes sinners up to that reality. Concerning righteousness, because as we have already seen throughout the Old Testament Scriptures and even the Pharisees and the religious leaders here in John's Gospel, our best morality is not enough for a holy God's perfect standards for righteousness. So concerning righteousness, because our righteousness, like the prophet Isaiah said, compared to God's just righteousness, it's like filthy clothing. Finally, concerning judgment, because the world and its ruler, meaning Satan, his days are numbered. He's facing judgment. The world is facing judgment. In short, what Jesus is telling them is the Holy Spirit will lead people to finding salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation with God in Jesus Christ alone. That's The Spirit points people to all that Jesus did and said. Just as the Son of God was with the disciples for a little while, the Spirit of God would be with them forever. That's, the, that's what he's saying. I've been with you a little while, but when the Helper comes, He will never leave you. And he says in verses 13 and 14, this Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. And Jesus said to them, the Spirit will declare to you the things that are to come. And then he also says this interesting thing that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now that's, I found that interesting. As I was reflecting this week, I thought about Queen Elizabeth and how she has absolutely no control over what happens to her kingdom when she dies. 
when Charles takes the throne, Elizabeth has no control over what happens. You kind of wonder if it's why she's hanging on so long. (laughs) All right, now we're Americans, okay? So Elon Musk will have no control over what happens to SpaceX, over what happens to Tesla, even what happens to Twitter. Elon Musk, after his death, cannot control a single tweet. Billions upon billions of dollars of invested influence in the global economy, in trying to get to Mars, in how human beings talk to one another. He has no control over it when he dies. But Jesus Christ's mission has gone forward according to his plan for 2,000 years since he has left us in the flesh. 2,000 years and his mission continues. And if you are a Christian, that's where you find your comfort. That's where you find your courage. That the mission of Jesus Christ cannot stop because his spirit is carrying it forward. And if you're not a Christian, listen to this, you you can become a Christ follower because there is no greater investment in history. There is nothing you can put your time into, your money into, your devotion into, more than the mission of Jesus Christ because His Spirit is with us and for 2,000 years and as long as it's going to take before Jesus comes back, His plan will take place. Because His Spirit is with us. That's why we have the reason to be at peace and always a reason to find our courage. Back to that song. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know He will not leave me. I take content what He hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. And patiently I wait His day. Now, why does it seem so hard to consistently follow Jesus? Why is it so hard to live at peace continually? Why is it so hard to find your courage with certain people? Why is it so hard to find your courage in certain situations if the Spirit of God is with us? Well, listen. Christians remain in a world that is opposed to the Spirit of God. The world is opposed to the work and mission of the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, the world is opposed to you. I'm sorry, I don't know if anyone's told you that before. But if you follow Jesus, the world is opposed to you. American Christians may not... Look, this is the obvious thing. American Christians may not be facing overt persecution. Imprisonment. Death. Like the ancient apostles would literally months, years after Jesus departed. We are not facing overt persecution as many of our sisters and brothers around the world are at this very moment. But increasingly, our society will tax any lifestyle 
that places its hope in a personal God. Our society will increasingly tax a lifestyle that places its trust in God's plan, in the plan of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ or a Christian community, there is more and more opposition in the marketplace ideas. In the marketplace of ideas. Opposition in the media's and Hollywood's caricature of us, admittedly based on some really bad examples out there in the world. We have to own that. Nonetheless, the opposition continues. We are opposed in our choices to put Jesus first in our own identity and self-expression, to put Jesus first in our work and our employment, to put Jesus first in our parenting, to put Jesus first in our speech. Let's be honest, it is still intimidating when you have to face a professor who openly belittles religion. It is still intimidating to have to face and relate to a friend or relative who cancels you. We need courage. Not the kind of courage you see in the movies. We need the kind of courage that Jesus is talking about. We need to find our courage to follow Him regardless of whatever opposes the work of His Spirit in the world and in our individual lives. In my journal while I was reading through John last year, I wrote these words, and they're still my prayer, I long, O Lord, for every place and every relationship to be safe because you are there with me. That's the key. For every relationship to be safe, for every place and space of our lives to be safe because he is with us. Now, I'm not a mathematician, so some of you may, and I hope you do, please correct me if I don't do this, if, I don't, if the analogy doesn't work. But there is... There is, there, is a, there, is an, there is a beautiful proportion if you live for Jesus. The degree of your courage is directly proportionate to the degree by which you cooperate with the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul called this keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. He said to the Galatians, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And there is a direct proportion in a spiritual sense, our courage matches the degree to which we are walking with the Holy Spirit and cooperating with Him. His disciples, are, you know, they say, ah, oh, we finally understand you. You're not speaking in riddles anymore. You know, everybody should, every, there's, nobody can teach you anything, Lord Jesus. You're amazing. And He goes, oh, really? you, you think you're so impressed with me now? In a few hours, you're going to all desert me. And when he says that, he says to them, yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. And, and, and Jesus, this is what it means to find your courage. It's believing what Jesus believes. That God is with you. That when everyone deserts you, your Father is with you. And what convinces you of that, who convinces you of that, is His Spirit. I am not alone the Father is with me. He wants us to remember the very same thing. In this world that is opposed to anyone who truly follows Jesus and represents Jesus, the Spirit is with you. Whate'er my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. 
Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet am I not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to Him I leave it all. My question for you today is, how do you cower to the threats of the world? I want you to ask yourself that question. How do you concede to threats and to people who are opposed to the work of Christ in you? How do you conform to the threats and pressures and influences of this world? We all do. Some of us, some of us has, have different soft spots than others. In an area in which you may not be intimidated, I may be scared to death. Another way of asking you this question is, how do we give in to fear and anxiety? How is it and when is it and with whom do fear and anxiety take the driver's seat and we're now along for the ride? We are no longer in control. How do we give in to fear and anxiety in such a way that we abandon Jesus in a crisis or in a challenge as the apostles were about to do? This is actually the way the, the, uh, the proportion looks to us. We think, we think that the degree of our courage is directly proportionate to the degree in which we trust in ourselves. The degree in which you feel like you've got a lot of self-confidence and self-esteem. You think your courage is directly proportionate to the degree in which you feel in control of a situation or a person. The degree in which you are intelligent and can argue, you, argue, argue your way out of a situation or outreason another person or read more. You think your courage is directly proportionate to how much people affirm you and the decisions you make and how you define yourself. And this is why we have no peace because our trust is in things that are unreliable, that have no true foundation. This is why it is the greatest form of foolishness and even arrogance to be confident in yourself, to have a sense of false confidence while you are trusting in all of these things. This is why Jesus is comforting His disciples right now in advance, because He knows they're going to fail. He knows their hope, even though they've known Him for three years, their hope is misplaced. And they will fail. And they will lose heart. And they did. Every single one of them. Matthew's Gospel tells us that one of them was so scared that he ran away without any clothes just to get away from the authorities. But here's the grace of God. Here is the gift of God that failures don't deserve. Here is the gift of God given in advance to people who will lose heart and reject Him. Who will lose their courage and concede and conform and cower when opposition faces their faith. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, reminds us 
that we are with the Father. It all has to come back to His heavenly Father. He says this right in the middle of the passage. In verse 27, He says, The Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. There it is. The man who rose from the dead said, The Father loves Me. Enough said. That's the foundation. That's the bedrock of all of our comfort and all of our courage. It's not in any of the other things that we feel so proud of and are so excited about. Even some very good things, okay? But none of, we can't take any of it with us. We can't control any of it the second, the second we die. Actually, you can't control any of it the second your, bed hits the pillow, your head hits the pillow and you fall asleep. The bedrock of our comfort and peace, the bedrock of our courage is always the fact that we know the Heavenly Father loves us. And He goes on to say, He sums it all up that evening by saying, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When He says I've overcome, the word meant to conquer. To conquer. He's not saying... I will evade the world. I will sneak around and tiptoe away from the world. I will hide from the world. No, he's saying, I have defeated the world. Undisputed heavyweight champion. Now, it's true that things don't look like Jesus has won and defeated the world. I I, I get that. But listen. All the factors in your life, all, all the, the, the forces and factions and failings that have hurt you, the people, the people who have hurt you and intimidated you, your own mistakes, right? the, the, the things that you've done that, that still have repercussions in your life, and the factions, the, the disputes and conflicts that break your heart that you can't do anything about. Jesus is saying here that He has defeated all of that that none of it need torment you anymore. Are these things and people still intimidating? Yeah, they are. Must they have power over you? No, they don't have to have power over you because He has overcome the world. Their days are numbered. As He said concerning what? Judgment. Because the ruler of this world stands condemned. And so the way Paul would talk about this is he said, and we read this earlier today in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? And he goes on and lists all of these horribly intimidating things. He says, no, none of this can separate us from the love of Christ. In all these, we are more than conquerors. And when he says conquerors, it's the same word for him saying, I've I've conquered the world. I've overcome the world. But it's a compound word. It's hyper-conquerors. Paul is saying we are all super-conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. There it goes back to the love of the Father. And so I'm telling you that in a sense, your courage, your courage increases as you become more convinced by the Holy Spirit in you that God the Father loves you. Where we begin is where we end the love of the Father. 
Christians have great reason to be comforted and courageous in this life because Jesus has overcome the world. And the Holy Spirit, the helper of the Son of God, is with us forever. And that's the guarantee of God's love. That, as the Bible says, is the deposit, is the down payment until Jesus returns. That's how we know that God loves us as we have His Spirit. One more stanza. Whatever my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true, each morn anew, sweet comfort then shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. Find your courage. Find your courage to follow Jesus regardless of what is opposing you in life, in your pursuit to follow Him. It's your job to figure out where that opposition is. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need another Christian, another wise person speaking truth into your life. Let them do that. How else are you going to know? Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to get into a community group and start to hear other people's perspective on life and how they are following Jesus. Find your courage. And let's find our courage together. Because such courage can still change the world. It is still changing the world. And it will change you. It will change you. Because such courage promotes the mission of Jesus until he returns. Let's pray. Father, as the song says, we take our stand on the fact that whatever you ordain is good and right for us as we are becoming more and more like your son. Your son. Which means if you love Jesus, you love us. Thank you. I pray that the love of the Father would fill this church with overflowing, would fill our lives to overflowing, that we would live at peace, that we would find our courage in the relationships, in the systems, in the influences and and environments that make us scared. Father, we wait for Jesus to come, but until He does, help us to not live in fear. You are our fortress, O God of Jacob. You are our refuge. Amen.